0: And I need to offer an apology just before I begin the lesson today. Anytime my phone rings in church, especially right before I get up to preach, I get nervous. Most of my friends and family know where I'm at and what I'll be doing. And it just rang a few moments ago, just as I was about to walk out, and I, I looked at my phone and it was Gary Dilworth. <laughs> Gary, you pocket dialed me. But I still felt guilty hanging up on an elder, <laughs> especially right before I preached. So I, I just had to get that off my chest. I want to look at Luke's story in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. There were two movies that came out this past summer. I don't get to watch movies very often, especially if they're not animated, not at my house at least. These two movies came out, and I didn't see them because of the rating, for one. It's not normally something I would see. But they were just really interesting. They they were very similar in tone and and purpose and, and the focus of the movie. Some of you may have seen it. One of the movies was titled Olympus. The other title was White House Down. Hollywood has a thing for blowing up stuff. And it's not unusual that they'll blow up New York City or, or some large metropolitan area like that. But both of these movies had a similar theme in them. Washington, D.C. gets blown up. And, and that's kind of unusual. I mean, it's happened in the past, but it's kind of unusual that they both came out in the same summer. And what's really interesting is the first movie, Olympus, I'm told, was a box office success. The second movie, White House Down, didn't do quite as well. Despite having the big name director and the big name actors, it didn't do so well. Now, I'm not much of a movie critic, especially of movies I haven't watched, but I did find one review interesting of White House Down. I don't know whether it's true or not, but... But one commentator suggested the reason White House Down didn't do as well in the box office is because people don't like seeing their country's government blown up. That's kind of an interesting take. We don't like to think of the U.S. Capitol blown up. Can you imagine turning on your TVs and seeing Washington, D.C. under the control of a foreign government? seeing Chinese troops march into the U.S. Capitol, or some other force burning down the White House. I don't like the thought of that, do you? It's no accident, I think, that 65% of the revenues from the second movie, White House Down, came in foreign theaters. We just don't like to see our own nation's capital... Blown up. Now if you can feel that bit of squeamishness that the thought of that has, of of seeing Washington under control of a foreign army, then you kind of get the feel, ever so slightly, of how Peter and the rest of the apostles must have felt in Luke chapter 21, where standing in the seat of government, standing in the religious center, and in Jewish minds, the one place where the world is built around... Standing in the Jerusalem temple, Jesus says, there's not one stone going to be left upon another. How would that make you feel? Like turning on CNN and seeing Washington taken over. It's not because it hasn't happened before. In fact, you've read Jewish history, you've read your Old Testament, and sure enough there, 722, the Jerusalem temple is burned to the ground. All the gold and all the expensive elements of the the temple are carried off by the Babylonians. The Bible tells that story at least three times. It's at the end of 2 Kings, it's at the end of 2 Chronicles, and it's at the end of the book of Jeremiah. This thing stood out in their mind. It was the collapse of everything they knew. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 21, says it's going to happen again. You know, it's happened before in America, back in the 1800s, when British troops walked in and they burned down the White House. I saw in a documentary of the White House, uh, President Barack Obama stood outside one of the balconies where there's remains, where they haven't painted over the charred White House brick, just as kind of reminder. The British Prime Minister came over once and one of the presidents said, you burned down my house. It's happened before, but even though in Jewish history the temple had been burned down before and carried off, the thought that it could happen again is just, it doesn't make sense. And yet in Luke chapter 21, Luke says through the words of Jesus, it's going to happen again. Now, Luke 21 is an interesting chapter that as we read this, sometimes people wonder, what does it mean today? What, is it a, what does it have to do with us today? And some preachers don't like to preach on the text because it's hard to give you a, here's something to do tomorrow with your life from this text. But it's a powerful text. Now, if, if someone told you that DC was going to be blown up, you probably have a a natural sense of questions. I would. When do you suppose this is going to happen? Luke 21, just after Jesus says this is going to take place, verse 7. They, the disciples, ask him, Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? I don't blame them for wanting to know, do you? Because one, if this place is going up, I'd rather not be here. But how could this happen? You see, in the Jewish mind, this was not just a nice structure. The temple was beautiful. But it was the center of every religious, governmental, civic, economic activity in Israelite life. If the temple collapses, Judaism collapses. When is this going to happen? And, and again, preachers will sometimes preach on this, and people read Luke chapter 21, desperate to find application to their life, and you hear a lot of this and Matthew 24, Mark 13. They're the parallel text to this, where people apply this to the end of the world. And so a lot of the things that Jesus says in this text are things you've heard people talk about. Anytime you turn on the news and there are wars and rumors of wars, you know where that phrase comes from? This text. There'll be earthquakes and famines. You know where that comes from? This text. And Jesus talks about those things, but listen to how he talks about them. Luke chapter 21, verse 7, verse 8. Jesus said, Beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take, for, take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Listen, brothers and sisters, there are some kind, well-meaning, sincere people who turn to this text and say, see, these are signs of the end, wars and rumors of wars, famine, false messiahs. But listen to Jesus, those things Jesus says mean the end is not here. And even of that, he's talking about Jerusalem, not the end of the world. He does give them signs, true signs. You find this over in verse 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. (laughs) I like that one. You want a true sign that this is about to happen? When you look out your window and you see the armies surrounding the city, it's going to happen. That's a pretty telltale sign, don't you think? And when you see that sign, Jesus says, you keep reading through verse 21, those that are in Judea flee. Pray that you're not pregnant. Matthew even says, pray that it's not the Sabbath day. Listen, if that's the end of the world, none of that matters. If that's the end of the world, going to the mountains isn't going to change a thing. If it's the end of the world, it doesn't matter if a lady's pregnant or if it's the Sabbath day. If it's the destruction of a city, it matters. Jesus says this place that you revere so much is going to be destroyed. There are other signs, verse 25, these sometimes throw us for a loop. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars on earth, distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and the foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Oh, no, that sounds like the end of the world. Unless, unless you've read Jewish scripture. Because if you read Jewish scripture, you'll find the exact sort of language used in Isaiah 13, all throughout the book of Daniel, in the book of Ezekiel. This is language of a cataclysmic collapse of culture. When Babylon was said to be facing its doom, this is the language that was used in Isaiah 13. Jesus is talking in Luke 21 about the destruction of the temple, brothers and sisters, not the end of the world. So that's, that's the deep theological, scriptural explanation of the morning. Next time you're in one of these conversations when a friend or a neighbor asks if you think we're living in the end times and if the wars and rumors of wars in Syria and Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran and Russia and China and all the nations about to go to war. Surely this is what Jesus said would happen at the end. No. Not according to Matthew and... Mark and Luke it was signs at the end of the Jerusalem which raises the question why Jerusalem why would Jesus standing in the temple why would he talk about the destruction of the temple why in the middle of this conversation and it the way Luke tells this story is real interesting. It's, he's standing in the temple area and people are talking about how beautiful the temple is. And it was. Incredible structure. And in the middle of that, Jesus kind of sounds like Eeyore. It's all going to be torn down. Not one stone standing on another. Well, what's the matter with you, Jesus? In the Gospel of Luke, you wonder, why is the temple going to be destroyed? And Jesus has given hints. He gave you a hint when he first got in Jerusalem and he marched into the temple. And he drove out the money changers and for a moment he halted the economic, sacrificial function of the temple. He gives you another hint when he tells the story of a man who owns this this vineyard. And he sends a servant out to collect some of the harvest. And they won't have that servant. They, They beat him and they leave him. They take him outside of the vineyard. And the owner of the vineyard says, I'm going to send another servant. And they treat that servant the same. He says, and then the owner of that vineyard decides, I'm going to send my own son. Surely they'll respect him. But they didn't. They beat the son, they carried him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. What happens with the destruction of Jerusalem is the vindication of Jesus. When the temple gets destroyed, it is the vindication of everything Jesus taught. And everything Jesus claimed to be. Jesus claimed to be the place where heaven and earth met. That's what Jews said about the temple. Jesus claims to be the sacrifice for sins. That's what they thought the temple was for. And when the Jewish leadership rejects Jesus, God says, I'm going to vindicate my son. The temple is going to be destroyed. Now, here's the interesting thing about the text. Notice what happens to the people of God in the midst. Jesus says in chapter 21 and verse 12, they're going to take some of you and they're going to persecute you. You're going to be handed over before synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and governors because of me this will give you an opportunity to testify. What? Jesus says, when all of this happens, when God steps in to vindicate me and to vindicate his message, and you're drugged before councils and powers and people of influence, what a great opportunity to testify. And he goes on to tell them that when all of this happens, verse 17, not one hair is going to be hurt on your head. And he keeps going and he later says in verse 22, the day of vengeance is here. And he says towards the end of the text of this section in verse 27, that the day of redemption has come. When God steps in to vindicate his son, God will vindicate his people. When God steps in to punish those who rejected his son, he will punish those who have rejected his people. When God steps in to make it claim, to make it clear who his son was and what he came to do, then those who rise up and testify and remain strong in the midst of this mess will see their day of redemption. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. But God's people are going to be okay. It's interesting that this story that Luke tells in Luke 21 comes just after Jesus sitting in the temple observing. He's observing, he's just commented back at the end in verse 41 of those who are the leaderships, the scribes, and and they love the long robes. They live these wealthy lives, and he says that what they do is they devour the widows. The one person, the one group of people whom God's people are most responsible for taking care of are the weak and the innocent and the abused and the outcast. And here are these religious leaders in Jerusalem sitting in the temple, governing what's supposed to be the place of God and the city of God. They're abusing the weak and vulnerable. They love the greetings. They love their robes. They love the luxury. They love the recognition they get. All the while they're destroying the households of widows. And then the chapter begins with Jesus looking up. And who else walks in but a widow? And she gives the last that she has to give. The temple is the one place that she ought to be taken care of. It's the one place that God's grace ought to be recognized. And Jesus says these leaders are devouring People like her. And because of that, this place is going down. Well, you've read your history books. And everything Jesus said would happen, happens. In the year 68 AD, there's a Jewish revolt. Eusebius, a church historian, says that most of the Christians left Jerusalem. They fled to the area of Decapolis. Meanwhile, the Jews that were left behind watched as the Roman army, under the guidance of Titus, the son of Vespasian, surrounded this city and began to starve the city of God to death. People on the inside of the walls tried to fight them off, and for a while they were successful, And and the Roman people in what appeared to be an act of kindness allowed a lot of the Jewish people to come back to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival, one of the festivals. But it wasn't as generous as it appeared because they knew if they flooded Jerusalem with pilgrims and shut off their supply of food, they would starve to death. That's exactly what happened in Jerusalem. And in the year 70 A.D., Titus wanted to save the temple. It was going to be like a trophy until one of the soldiers threw a, threw a flame over and it caught the temple on fire and the, the temple burned and the houses of Jerusalem burned and, and Jewish people were taken off captive. And, and Roman soldiers walked through the temple courts, literally turning over stone after stone, looking for any gold that they could keep. Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon another. You know why that happened? Because they rejected the Son of God. Because Jesus came to the temple to restore true worship and true fellowship with God, and they did not accept it. It was the vindication of the Son of God. There's another text mixed in here. It's there in verse 26, 27. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with the power and great glory. Again, that's language that seems to sound like the end of the world unless you've read Jewish literature and you've read Daniel chapter 7 where Daniel is interpreting these strange visions that he sometimes is called to interpret. And in the midst of all of these nations battling and fighting, Daniel sees a time where one like the Son of Man comes in the clouds. And he is taking his seat in power and glory. Jesus says, when you see Jerusalem destroyed, you'll know that the kingdom of heaven has come. When you see Jerusalem destroyed, you'll know that God has vindicated me and my ministry and my mission. And his encouragement to them is this, verse 19. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. This is the hard part of preaching, the strange part of preaching. How do you take a story and a parable or an apocalyptic weird language of Luke 21 and tell the church something that matters to them tomorrow or today? And we could stand up here and talk about history and the year 70 AD and Vespasian and Titus and all this. But what does this mean to us? What does this mean when you go home, when you go to work, when you go to school, does it mean anything at all? And may I suggest it does? And here's the message God will vindicate his people, he'll vindicate his son as he did in AD 70, and he'll vindicate those who stand with his son. What happened to Jerusalem will one day happen to all creation. And Paul, quoting Isaiah, says that the name at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. God will vindicate his people. Some of you are desperately trying to hold on to your faith. Because you're surrounded by people who mock it, who disbelieve it, And who challenge you to give it up. And the message of Luke 21 is God will vindicate his people. Some of you are persecuted in your families. Because you're trying to be the man or woman or the child that God calls you to be. And it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And you're wondering how could God let this stand. And the message of Luke 21 is simple. God will vindicate his people. We turn on the news We listen to the radio and people are mocking our Christian faith. And people are mocking what we desperately believe is God's people. And the message of Luke 21 is simple. God will vindicate his people. And our calling is this. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. Can you imagine turning on your TV one day... And hearing that Washington, D.C. has fallen, that the United States is now under new management. What Jesus tells the disciples in Luke 21 is something that completely upends everything they've always believed. This is the city of God, we are the people of God. And when Luke tells this story, he is calling on the early church and on those who read it after them to ask, in who or in what do you place your trust? It's not the temple. Jesus was everything the temple was supposed to be. He was the place where heaven and earth joined together. He was the place where sin and communication with God takes place. And if we are his people, then he is our temple. He is our place of meeting God. And so the word from Luke today for us is to trust that at some day, at some time, at the Lord's choosing, God will vindicate his people. And in the meantime, you hold to your faith through whatever you face. Well, that's not a chipper sermon, is it? If you're not a Christian, it may look like God is doing nothing. It may look like God is setting back, letting things unfold, and never going to intervene again. But the message of Luke is, oh no, one day, God's going to vindicate his people. And God desperately wants you to be one of his people. That's why Jesus came. That's why he was, heaven and earth, joined together in one place. That's why he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. That's why he calls us to faith, repentance, and baptism to put him on and become a child of God. And we can help you with that this morning if you've never done that. And if you have done that, let me remind you that your endurance will gain your soul. Be faithful and trust that someday... God will vindicate his people. If we can pray for you or help you come to Christ this morning, we would love to do so in the name of Jesus Christ while together we stand and sing.